Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We're grateful that you're sharing part of your evening with us. We're here every Thursday night at 8 o'clock to bring more information to polygamists of why they should not trust Joseph Smith and his polygamy for the salvation of their souls, but that belongs only to Jesus Christ. We have a lot to share with you tonight, but we have a quick announcement before we get started. Uh, Lynn Wilder, uh, who is the author of a book entitled Unveiling Grace, she's been on our show before. She was on last September uh, about a month ago talking about her book and she's in the area with her husband for the next few weeks and she's going to be talking at different venues and I told her that I would be happy to announce some of those venues on our show. So first of all uh, she is going to be talking this Sunday October 20th at Mid Valley Bible Church in Bluffdale, Utah. She will be um, at uh, KTMW Channel 20 on Wednesday the 23rd of October on the program What's Up Utah. She'll also be uh, on Wednesday, October 23rd on the Direct Line Talk Show with Reverend Wayne Kent. On the next Friday, October 25th, she'll be on KTMW Channel 20 again and the What's Up Utah show at 7 p.m. Sunday, October 27th, uh, she'll be speaking at Red Hills Baptist Church in Enoch, Utah at 6 p.m. And Tuesday, October 29th, uh, she'll be with the Salty Believer podcast from Risen Life Church in West Jordan at 2 p.m. And finally, Wednesday, October 30th, she will be on KTMW TV 20 at 8 p.m. again on Reverend Jason Wallace's television show entitled Ancient Paths. Now we went through this pretty quickly, but uh, if you didn't get the place that you would like to go see her talk and listen to her talk, uh, you can email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com and I'll be happy to give you the information and email it back to you. You know, before we trust our eternal soul to anyone's teachings, we must first research and study and check it out and test the doctrine as well as the person from whom the doctrine came. On this show, we test the doctrine of polygamy as introduced into Mormonism by the man Joseph Smith, who claimed it was a revelation from God and that it was an essential for the eternal salvation and exaltation of the souls of Mormon men and women. Our obligation is to obey God and test this different gospel of the polygamy groups which came from Joseph Smith. So far, every test that we've ever subjected Joseph Smith to as well as his doctrine has failed the test. Tonight, based on historical evidence, we are going to present more information for you to launch your own historical investigation and discover the truth for yourself, if you've got the courage. There is substantial evidence indicating that Joseph Smith Sr. and his family were part of an illegal counterfeiting network. Historian Will Bagley wrote, and we quote, this should go on the screen, 
quote, the persistence of such charges of counterfeiting in Illinois, Iowa, New York, California, and ultimately in Utah Territory suggests that counterfeiting, like polygamy, was a publicly condemned but secretly sanctioned activity in early Mormon society. Well, tonight we will provide evidence that there were this family was involved in the counterfeiting of money in Vermont, in New York, and in Ohio. And to discuss this information, our guest has spent over six years, countless hours, and traveled endless miles. She has researched interminable documents, newspapers, and historical records on the subject of counterfeiting in early Mormon history by early Mormon movers and shakers. She's a graduate of Brigham Young University. She has an associate of science degree in nursing, She worked at Stanford University Medical Center. She has a master's degree in liberal arts and philosophy at Stanford University. She has authored three books, as well as several journal and newspaper articles. She is also a former Mormon and a descendant, a direct descendant of Heber C. Kimball. I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest tonight, Kathleen Melanakos. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Very good. <laughs> but I practiced that. I'm really happy to be here tonight. Well, thank you so much for coming. And we we got lots to cover. So yes, we do. We need to just get right moving on it. And you have written extensively on early Mormonism. And so tell our viewers what is the title of your paper, and briefly explain why you wrote the paper on counterfeiting in the Smith family. Well, the title <laughs> of it is Early Mormon Origins in secret oath-bound counterfeiting networks. And the, the reason I started even researching Mormon history has to do with my whole life. And any author will tell you that it has to do with their life and what they have to say. Um, but I had a troubled upbringing. My father was part of a polygamy group. He had come out of that. And he was he, part of the uh, part of the wing of Heber C. Kimball's family that kept practicing polygamy. And he was one of the lucky ones, you could say, that was able to have a get an education. But I think that he was a, vic- a victim, like mm-hmm. so many, of the false teachings of Joseph Smith in that mm-hmm. he, he was a lost boy. And a lot of people don't know what lost boys are. Well, they're the, the, the leftover boys that don't have anyone to marry or that are just rejected. Because all of the women are taken up by the polygamous man, so there's not enough wives for all the men, right? Right, so he didn't really have a father. He And no, and p- children born in polygamy groups don't have fathers, really, because mo- they're born to single mothers mm-hmm. who have to fend for themselves m- most of the time. And my dad had to, from the time he was eight, uh, mm-hmm. try to support his mother. and. So anyway, it, th- this had ramifications for our family. Sure. And he was he was able to make something of himself. He married my mother, who was in the more mainstream Mormon church. But there was so much tension, and and there's consequences of your beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so, he, what made you decide to follow the counterfeiting part of this history? Well, because I was troubled about polygamy. I wanted to know if this was from God. Yeah. And. So I started researching Mormon history and the Bible, and is this really true? 
And what is the answer? And it was a matter of necessity. Because what did I really believe? And what am I going to base my life on? So I researched Mormon history, and I kept coming up with this, the idea, you know, the, 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 the issue of counterfeiting would keep cropping up in my mm -hmm. research about the, you know, the questions I had. So uh, it was always a footnote, but I said, I think this is more of, this, of a central part of the story than just a side story. Mm -hmm. and, and sure enough, I started really going into it and looking at court records and, and indictments and arrest records, and, and yeah, it was frequent. Mm. It, and, it, and, it, and it went back to before they ever wrote the Mormon, Book of Mormon, back to Vermont. Mm -hmm. And so I, so many documents are already out there, but I was able to put, the, put it all together into a story. Mm -hmm. You know, we know the, the problems of Mormonism, that, it, that the Book of Mormon isn't a, it isn't a history. It's, there's no evidence right. there's for no it. There's no evidence for the Book of Mormon at all. And we know all, you know, the, the Pearl of Great Price isn't a translation that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, but openly denied it mm -hmm. publicly. Yeah. So I want to know well, what really did happen. And it, and all, it goes back to counterfeiting. And, and yeah. the more I researched, the more puzzle, puzzle pieces went together. Yeah. So you were originally started out to write a book, but you decided to publish this into a paper to begin with. Um, so people can get your paper. How can they obtain a copy of this paper, which has all the footnotes, by the way? It's got all your resource information in there. Uh, they can email me. I'm in the process of, of publishing, and I will find a publisher. Uh -huh. And I'm, you know, nothing's signed yet. Nothing is agreed. But they can email me in the meantime, mm -hmm. KathleenMell at, at Yahoo.com. Okay, and the... Um, uh, the your email is there on the screen, KathleenMail at yahoo.com, and if if one of our viewers doesn't get that uh, in time, you can always email us at tv@aboutpolygamy.com, and I'll forward any inquiries on to Kathleen. So, well, let's get on to to what you have discovered. Uh, counterfeiting now was, was uh, in early American history was actually more of a problem than most people realize. So, explain the counterfeiting problem and the seriousness of what happened. Yes. Having studied the classics, going back to ancient Greece, Rome, governments and civilizations have had to have a stable currency to have a decent economy. Mm -hmm. They found governments have known that for long centuries, you yeah. know, and sure. so they've taken it very seriously when someone decides to take it upon themselves to just print up money that they can uh, use to defraud people and to throw off the entire system. Mm -hmm. So during the time of the American Revolution, it was definitely a problem because governments were, were unstable. We had the transition from the colonial time to the you know, new, newly established American government. So, then, so government uh, oversight and law enforcement was weak. And at that time, that's when a lot of counterfeiting networks grew up. Mm -hmm. And it was it was seen as treason in England. There were many, uh, you know, people guilty of this that went to the gallows, mm. and wow. and it was seen as treasonous in the United States too. But because of the chaos, because of the upheaval with the revolution, they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the law enforcement. And there's of course the vast frontier where mm -hmm. you sure. could you could escape. Mm -hmm. 
and hide out in the cave or out in the wilderness. And you had to have different players to, to play the parts and to provide the counterfeit money, yeah. which was another big factor. And, and during the revolution, there was, um, that, that was part of the British, wasn't that part of their weapon against America, that they, uh, they started some of the counterfeiting rings themselves to, to undermine the government here? Yeah, it was a hotly debated issue, and it was part of why they f even fought the Revolutionary War, is Britain wouldn't allow the colonial governments to print money or, or to control the currency over in this continent. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, Benjamin Franklin wrote pamphlets about it. Uh, some of the, the colonies had their own banks mm -hmm. that they issued bank notes from. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea behind a bank note, and that's important to know about counterfeiting, is that what was printed on the bill allowed you to turn that into the bank mm -hmm. for the that amount of for gold amount, or silver. Right. It isn't the same quite nowadays. So you had to rely on the bank and some banks were more reputable than others. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't have the amount of gold and silver in your bank to redeem, to provide the amount to the person mm -hmm. when they asked to redeem it, then it threw off the the whole system again. Okay, so and we'll get into the bank later. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> we need we need to tie this up. <clears throat> excuse me, with the Smith family, which we're going to do in just a minute. On page eight, you talk about rogue ministers. These ministers who who pawn themselves off as being Christian preachers, but they were linked with counterfeiting. Explain that. Yeah, I, I found that really interesting. That one way to cover up the counterfeiting that you were doing was to pose as a respected figure. 90% uh, of people were farmers, but then there were other professions, professionals, and one of the most respected people at the time, persons, was the, the minister. And so after the revolution, especially, uh, it, it became more common, you know, for, for someone who was an opportunist to pose as a minister and be counterfeiting at the same time mm -hmm. behind the scenes and you would get the people's trust and in the meantime the accomplices would be stealing the horses or or you know passing the counterfeits or mm -hmm. so one of the one of the main characters that i found that linked you know counterfeiting to the smiths was this person named Stephen Burroughs. Stephen Burroughs. And he was a rogue minister. He, there he is. There he is on yeah. the screen. He went to Dar uh, Dartmouth for two years, got kicked out, and, uh, but he became very, a very engaging figure that people would listen to, and, <clears throat> but he, he impersonated a minister and learned how to counterfeit behind the scenes from a man named Glazier Wheeler. Uh, he's, Did he know the Smith family? Well, he, he, yes, his, there was a connection at Dartmouth because the, the, well, it's, it's in my paper. I, I, I can't go into all the connections. No, there's too many details for right. all of that. But, but he's, he escaped across the border to Canada and set up a, a huge network of his own, mm -hmm. Stephen Burroughs, mm -hmm. and Joseph Smith Sr. joined it. He was arrested 
two, maybe three times for counterfeiting in 1807. Wow. And it's in the records. Mm -hmm. We have, I looked at the court case. Mm -hmm. The only time you ever uh, got convicted of counterfeiting was if you turned states, if someone in the network turned states evidence against the rest of the gang. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Joseph Smith was senior, was named in this court case. Okay, so counterfeiters had to have networks. Uh, you brought yeah. the networks up. They couldn't. They couldn't do, go it alone. Um, would you explain the networking uh, that took place and how the Smith family's been found to be involved in these networking that was taking place in those? That well, you time? had to because it was so illegal. You had to have uh, other people that were doing it with you. You had to have the person that that got the bank, the engraving plates from the bank, mm -hmm. and a lot of times they were officers of the bank and they just kept their regular jobs, but they were counterfeiting to, you know, s supplying the engraving plates. Then you had to have the person that was manufacturing the, the counterfeit money, and that was someone that w was out in the wilderness or <coughs> hiding out from the law. Th and then you had to have the passers, well, distributors, take people that came and got the the money brought it to the the receivers and then you had people that were actually passing it off to the mm -hmm. to the uh, merchants mm -hmm. so you had to have a whole team of people and since it was so illegal you had to agree with each other that you will never rat on your brothers because uh, if you know the law will get the whole group mm -hmm. if if they get one person right so they had secret signs where they had recognition of each other you know uh, and and so the, it was an oath-bound hmm. secret group, wow. and it, it was clandestine, and it was illegal. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a very serious crime. So, so. It, it's well-known historical fact that Joseph Smith was a money digger. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't quite get the importance of money digging in, this, in today's culture right. of what it really at that time was. How was money digging connected with counterfeiting and, and how serious was, was money digging? Uh, Joseph Smith, him, we've, we know he was. Right, and some people have said it was just a folk religion, it was folk magic and he dabbled in you know, buried, buried treasure. It was much more of a swindle mm -hmm. than has been a, acknowledged. Um, yeah. There was there was a character named Ransford Rogers that did exactly the same things that Joseph Smith did to trick people into giving him a lot of money for looking at his magic stone and seeing, seeing quote, seeing where the magic treasure was, uh, conjuring the ghosts and and so they would actually conjure up ghosts, and they called him a swindler. Now, why don't they call Joseph Smith a swindler? He did the same thing. They did the very same thing. There, there were two ways that you could earn money. Earn. I mean, you could trick people into giving you money with by seeing through your magic stone. Mm -hmm. One, you could steal the goods in the first place, and then get it, collect a fee for, for finding. <laughs> yeah, quote finding the stolen goods. Oh my goodness. Or you could get prosperous farmers to pay your expenses for weeks, months, sometimes years. You know, tell, for telling them where the buried treasure was and having mm -hmm. a money digging company. And they'd dig these big holes and they'd have these seances at night where they wow. conjure the ghosts. And there was one partner of Joseph Smith's that paid him over $2,000 over two years. Wow. 
and he actually got murdered for his money. And there's a whole story about the paper in that. Mm -hmm. In that whole story. But several very big-time counterfeiters, Stephen Burroughs, that we just talked about, and William Challoner, who got hung in Europe, I mean, in England, for counterfeiting, started out their career, their, their huge life of crime, by seeing stolen goods in the magic stone and wow. tricking people that way. And that's the connection with counterfeiting. That's, the, that's yeah. Well, yeah, it is, and 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 it's more. It, it is more serious, I think, not only from a legal standpoint, but it's also more serious from from a biblical standpoint. Uh, God actually forbids the kind of conjuring up and doing the things that Joseph Smith did to find these buried treasures. I'd like to quote Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, verses ten through twelve, right here where God says, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, and I think that Joseph Smith would be that, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, and that also, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritus, or one who calls up the dead, calling up the ghosts. For right. all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. So he falls into this abomination by the practices that he was doing. Now, these practices, uh, we're not making this up. You've got all the, the, the footnotes and the resources for that. And God, by the way, has not allowed any exceptions uh, to these prohibitions. So let's get to the Kirtland Bank uh, before mm -hmm. we, get, we run out of time. On page 41 of your book regarding the Kirtland Bank, you said, and I quote, the Kirtland Bank has been a subject of controversy since it was first conceived. Mm -hmm. This paper argues that it was the counterfeiting machine, the bank itself was, that so many at the time said it was. For instance, E.G. Lee said, Well may the Mormons be ashamed of their counterfeit Bible, which by their own testimony is shown to be as gross a trick as are their counterfeit bank notes. There are multiple reasons to believe the Kirtland Bank produced a counterfeits. And there on the screen also is, what is that, a $100 counterfeit and a $3 counterfeit bill the Kirtland Bank right. um, uh, produced. So explain the illegal activities that took place with the failure of the banking venture, the Kirtland Bank, that Joseph Smith started. Well, all you have to do is know the, the definition of counterfeit money. The definition is any illegal money that's produced, that is not authorized, that is not government approved, that, that is just you printing up your own money uh, because you feel like it. Think if everybody did that, it would be a free-for-all and, mm -hmm. and more money would be worth nothing. So yeah. the, Il the Kirtland S Safety Society Anti-Bank, which is the crazy name they came up with, <laughs> to call it uh, <laughs> the anti-bank yeah that's what weird was illegal in four different ways you know four different ways number one it did not have a charter it had been denied a charter uh, so they in because they had been denied it they decided to make it a cor you know call it a corporation and sell stock in it but they did not register as a corporation they did not uh, incorporate legally as you should so you can pay taxes and be known to the community and be legal no they didn't do that so and then the third way that it was illegal is that legal entities that were authorized to print money or issue notes in Ohio there was a you know the Ohio legislature had passed a law against issuing any of those notes 
lower than the denominate a uh, five dollar denomination but Oliver Cowdery came back from New York and Ohio with a hundred and fifty thousand of printed notes now where did he get wow. those and then and they started issuing them and buying goods with those big ticket items horses land uh, and then they s issued more money after that with the printed notes that they came up with with his engraving plates that he brought wow. so they that was all illegal money mm -hmm. so every dollar that came out of that bank was illegal was counterfeit um, and Joseph Smith <coughs> was behind this scheme he was the pre yeah Sidney Rigdon was the president Joseph Smith was the cashier uh, <laughs> but you know the, he was of course the leader of it mm -hmm. and yeah so, so it I, was illegal. So I wonder why he he printed a three dollar bill. That would be so obvious. Well, yeah. In well, in those days, as I said, you could redeem it for that ma amount of gold or silver at a, a legal, you know, legitimate bank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But okay. even that was illegal. They had passed a law against it. So so um, there were. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, um, Lyman Johnson, Sidney Rigdon, Hiram Smith, I think we've got a picture of all these guys. They were part of the Danites who signed up for helping out with this? Is that? Well, not only were they, you know, the bank was definitely illegal, counterfeit money, but they, they were also dealing in counterfeit money with another counterfeit group that was established in Ohio called the Tink, well it was the Brown Brothers, but in the Danite Manifesto, which is a document that you can get at, at Sandra Tanner's bookstore or anybody can get a hold of it, it is a signed document that, that Hiram Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and 84 other Danites wrote and produced and served, you might say, published uh, in Missouri to, because they had broken with Oliver Cowdery, witness to the Book of Mormon, David Whitmer, witness to the Book of Mormon, and Lyman S. Johnson, apostle. They had broken up over the bank. They had a big schism over it. Mm -hmm. But they printed this document that detailed that Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Lyman Johnson were dealing in counterfeits with these Tinker Creek blacklegs oh. Uh, the Brown Brothers, and if you study about counterfeiting, they were one of the biggest networks at the time. Wow. And it, how did they ever know that they were doing that unless they were in the network, too? Oh, my goodness. And so, uh, you it's wrote, a big issue. You wrote on page 44, um, and I like to quote, and this, this connects polygamy. We've already connected the Smith family and Joseph Smith specifically to counterfeiting. Now it's, we're going to connect polygamy to it. And on page 44 you wrote, and I quote, One of Joseph Smith's polyandrous plural wives, Mrs. Sarah Cleveland, was committed to the Niagara jail for passing $390 in Kirtland anti-bank notes with intent to defraud. Sarah was released on bail and later became Emma Smith's counselor in the presidency of the Relief 
Cleave Society in Nauvoo. Now we have a picture of Sarah Cleveland, in case anyone's not familiar with her, but so Joseph Smith and polygamy and counterfeiting were all connected here, and polyandry meaning, of course, that Sarah was married to two men at the same time, Joseph Smith and her legal husband. Right. She was married to John Cleveland, a judge who never did join the Mormon Church, but he was friendly to them, to the officers, and she is listed as a plural wife of Joseph Smith. So she's married to two men at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then she ends up in jail for passing $390 of counterfeit money. Now $390 then was a lot. That was a lot. I mean, even today, that's a lot of money, you know, especially to defraud someone when it's counterfeited. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I felt bad that, you know, she had been a respectable person. She had been a professing Christian, but then she gets mixed up in this, and, and she ends up in jail having to be bailed out. And then it must have been very hard for her to be the counselor in the Relief Society with Emma when she can't say anything about her yeah. relationship with Joseph with Smith. With Emma's husband, Joseph with, Smith. And with the, her husband. And the money, too. And, of course, you could read so. more about Sarah Cleveland in Todd Compton's book, In Sacred Loneliness. Uh, he tells the whole story of of Sarah Cleveland, where she came from, how Joseph Smith happened to marry her, that she indeed was um, married to another man at the same time that she was married to Joseph Smith. I don't think he talks about the counterfeiting, though. And you've also identified at least 33 names of people uh, who were connected with Joseph Smith in this fraud. And some of them, many of those names are, are names that most of us would recognize as being early church Mormon leadership positions. Yeah. I, you know, once you start looking for it, you just see all the people that had either arrest warrants or, or indictments or uh, testimony or, or, you know, I, 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 I collected it all. I went through, I counted at least 33, and these were Joseph Smith himself, his brothers. Mm-hmm. William Smith was very much known as someone who deal, dealt in counterfeit money. <clears throat> There's a lot of testimony about him. Going back to earlier, you know, than than Ohio, he was in Palmyra. Uh, that's in the in the paper. But so the whole family was, was in the involved. network. Well, and that was a that was something else I found out about counterfeiting was that often whole families did it because you couldn't hide it from your immediate family members. So you had to get everybody into the whole business. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Burroughs did that. He had his his daughter forging the notes. He had his sons bailing him out of jail when he'd get caught. Uh, and they would be better at protecting each other, too. Right, and they didn't, they didn't inform on each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. your, your, maybe your, uh, your competitor or your other partner that you were just loosely associated with might if, inform on you, but your family members didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. And and then the the main witnesses to the Book of Mormon, Oliver Cowdery. I mean, the the, the top officers yeah. of so of the church. So then it, you know, really makes you wonder. It does. Well, what the their char- motivation was for in the beginning. Well, the character of the people. You know, whenever and we bring God into the equation here with the Book of Mormon and trying to pawn off a, a new book and a new religion. 
that's supposed to be a, a, a res restoration of Christianity and behind the scenes all of this stuff is going on. Uh, we're, uh, we're at a time now where we need to open up our telephone lines. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're opening up our lines for our viewers to call in if you have questions or if you comments or if you have information that you'd like to add to our discussion. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 801-973-8820. 973-TV20, and uh, while we're waiting for the phone calls to come in, we'll take a short break. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and tonight we're talking with Kathleen Melanakos about mm -hmm. counterfeiting in early Mormonism, especially with the Smith family. And Joseph Smith was directly involved with some of these schemes to defraud people. It's there. This is made up. All you have to do is go look at the records. You can get her paper uh, where she has the resources that she has found this information in with all the footnotes and all the references for that. Um, there was counterfeiting taking place uh, in mass in the early American days in different areas, and it looks like that they were involved too. I have four, four quotes from your paper that I want to quote quickly before we, um, there is a phone call that looks like came in. But um, this kind of connects the counterfeiting of money with the counterfeiting of God's word. And, mm -hmm. and your quotes were so good, I wanted to share them with our viewers. The first quote is about the Book of Mormon from A.B. Benton, and he wrote, and I quote, 
As for his book, referring to the Book of Mormon, it is only the counterpart of his money-digging plan. Fearing the penalty of the law and wishing to amuse his followers, he fled for safety to the sanctuary of pretended religion. End quote. Good, mm -hmm. good remark there, and so true. Brigham Young made a remark on the counterfeiting and the stealing of the Mormons, and he said, and I quote, I swore by the eternal gods, that's an interesting comment, that if men in our midst would not stop this cursed work of stealing and counterfeiting, that their throats should be cut, end quote. This from Brigham Young. He knew it was going on. Of course, yeah. we know that he believed in the, in the blood atonement. So, And then there's a, another quote about the Book of Mormon that I would like to uh, mention from Daniel Kidder. And I quote, Nevertheless, it, the Book of Mormon, is probably the most successful attempt ever made to counterfeit the scriptures. And I would have to agree, certainly, mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. And finally, J.B. Turner said, and I quote, The secret is here. By tolerating the dreamy visions of Joe Smith, they are enabled with more ease to dispense with Jesus Christ and his doctrines. And that's what mm -hmm. they've done. They, 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 they have dispensed with his doctrines and brought in the, the polygamy doctrine and other Mormon doctrines from Joseph Smith and, and just completely wiped out most of the good doctrines that we have in the New Testament that belongs to salvations of our soul and so on. So um, what are your thoughts about the counterfeit, how the counterfeiter deprives the victim of the real thing. Well, that's what's so sad is when someone perpetrates a counterfeit, it deprives the victim of what is the real thing, and so therefore it is. It's a it's a deception. It's a theft. Mm -hmm. uh, and there the, the the there was a professor in 1842 that closely observed what was happening in Nauvoo and all the counterfeiting that was going on there. And that's going to be part two. Um, you know, this, this paper is part one. I will continue with part two because then the counterfeiting really exploded there. Mm -hmm. But he observed what was happening and he said it was his opinion that what the real design of the Mormons leaders were at that time was to, to class or classify the Book of Mormon and the Bible together in people's minds so that when they found out the Book of Mormon was a counterfeit, which people back then did too, mm -hmm. there, there were many that did and yeah. left the church, Yeah, they knew. then they would also throw out the Bible. Because if you can't trust one, you can't trust. Isn't that what happens today if people leave Mormonism or the polygamy group and they become atheists or agnostics? Because it happens because all too frequently. And it's so sad. My thought is that if you were given a cold what you thought was a gold coin, but you found out it was a counterfeit, you would not just decide after that that there were no such things as gold coins. No, you would keep searching for what is for the true really valuable. Yeah, and test that gold coin to make sure it was real, yes. which people should be doing. And you know, I so. have to put that together with polygamy because uh, Joseph Smith turned marriage from uh, monogamy to polygamy, and so that counterfeits marriage, yes. and, it, and it cheats the victim out of the, the experience of having a true monogamous marriage, which is what God designed. And the, the beauty of a man and a woman and their love for each other, and how they 
they can spend their lives just getting to know each other, just the two of them, yes. without the, uh, all. so is, that's a counterfeit as well. Well, the, and not to mention, point. it cheats the children. It cheats of having the children. A lifelong partnership of two people raising them yeah. who care about them and can have actually right. have the resources to devote to them yeah right and and you're from your father was a polygamist my family's polygamist we can say okay we've got calls coming in we have an off-the-air question and it says is the Kirtland Bank scandal connected in any way with the Wildcat State Bank of the 1830s I think what the person is referring to was the panic of 1837 where there were many other banks that failed and that were considered to be wildcat. Now the term wildcat meant any bank that did not have the gold or silver to back up its banknotes. Uh -huh. So I was, you know, if I read the paper, a lot of the information that I got about the Kirtland Bank was from the BYU studies. Uh -huh. They they did say the facts, uh -huh. um, but their interpretation was wrong. And they, you know, they, they said that it was not a wildcat bank, which it absolutely is a wildcat bank by that definition. Right. And they also argued that it was so much similar to many other banks at the time that were wildcat banks that failed. Mm -hmm. Well, there were three reasons why it was different, different than other banks. Uh, number one, it wasn't, most banks did not, were not founded on the, uh, revelation you know from god that it would never fail yeah um, which by the way was a false revelation right <laughs> right because it it only lasted a month and then they yeah. got run out of town yeah and 17 lawsuits were filed against the kirtland bank the Kir kirtland bank yeah and he, joseph smith got arrested four or five times yeah. in the so anyway there was a panic of 1837 there were other wildcat banks but the 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 banks that were based on solid you know reputations that that fulfilled their contracts did not fail so i think that's what he was yeah. talking about okay okay so we have a call from sam uh from eagle mountain hello sam hi Doris. hello you're on the air hi hi um you were talking a little earlier about um money digging uh-huh and then like witchcraft and things like that. Yeah. And um, I've done a little research myself, and um, upon Joseph Smith's death, they found something in his pocket called a talisman. Mm -hmm. And the talisman was like a round object. It was covered in all kinds of strange, uh, like, hieroglyphics. Mm -hmm. And he carried it around with him. All of his life, he had, apparently he had carried this object with him. And it was supposed to, like, bring you luck and yeah. make people like you and bring good fortune to you and bring you money and, you know, all these things, make women like you. Yeah. Things like that. And wouldn't that kind of be like a form of witchcraft as well? Definitely. And, yeah. and we're going to be talking about that kind of some of the occult practices of Joseph Smith in two weeks from tonight. So, and we're going to be talking about the Jupiter Talisman at that time as well that Joseph Smith had on his body when he died. But you're right. It would be in that category for sure. That's what he believed in. He didn't believe in... The Bible that prescribes all that type of thing. Yeah. Well, so, if he believed in the Bible, he would know that God forbid that kind right, of thing. Right, exactly. And he wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> thank you, Sam. Yeah. Uh -huh. You're welcome. Appreciate your comments. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Okay. Mary Ellen is calling from West Valley. Uh, Mary Ellen? Yes. You're on the air. 
Yes. Uh-huh. What's your question? Uh, Doris, yes. I do not have a question, but I want to thank Kathleen for sharing her knowledge with us. Thank you. And Doris, my friend Judy and I admire you so much for bringing the truth into light. We've been watching you ever since you came on. And thank I you. would like to make a donation to your cause. Thank you very much. <laughs> you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can get the information off of our website. Uh, for the if you want to donate to our ministry that and our ministry does help people get out of polygamy groups and we do appreciate that I am computer free mm-hmm uh, why don't you um, give your name and telephone number to our operator before you hang up and then I'll give you a call tomorrow how's that thank you Doris, very much thank you for calling bye mm-hmm bye Oh, that was a, a nice call. Mm -hmm. um, now, we were talking earlier about the polygamy connection. Would you explain how marriage alliances became part of their plan of secrecy in those days where the networking was taking place? Well, that's another thing I noticed so much. When, I, when you study about counterfeiting, you study the different patterns that, of behavior that counterfeiters had. And one of the patterns that counterfeiters had matched quite well with what the Joseph Smith and the early Mormons did. They had, you know, they treated relationships as very self-serving. When, you know, you were loyal to your partner as long as they served your purposes of getting you where you wanted to go. But then the list of people that said that Joseph or Hyman Smith had deceived them or, or, um, let them down or you know that he had that he broke with was very long his most of his his immediate partners his uh, the officers of the bank so they they you know they they used people basically they did what was expedient at the time and that's what counterfeiters did and so do you think so, that, did you find that there was a lot of Joseph Smith's plural wives that were or, or, or even a few of his wives that were involved with this counterfeiting scheme and and he used their their relationship to do that to perpetrate the schemes well besides it, Sarah Clinton. yeah it, it is my th theory that he was you know Joseph Smith was constantly getting in trouble with the law mm -hmm. they were they were suing him for his illegal bank they were suing him for the for trouble in Missouri they he he got accused of treason mm -hmm. and his inner circle people did turn state's evidence against him mm -hmm. so one way that he could get family loyalty you know families did not turn each other in so if you marry you know all the women that were wives of the men that you were uh, wanting to be loyal to you, that was one way to get family loyalty. So it was really using them you know to to keep him from escaping the law. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seemed like to that me makes it makes sense yeah because that's what counterfeiters did they, they didn't they, you know they didn't turn their family in so you needed family loyalty so why not marry everybody and get their loyalty <laughs> get their loyalty that way it makes sense it does we have a call coming in now from from uh, Scott in Draper line one hello Scott yes yes you're on the air hi 
I was just calling to follow up on the Sarah Cleveland comments or quote that you had on there earlier mm -hmm. about the $390 of counterfeit money or whatever that was. I didn't quite remember what it was. Mm -hmm. But you said that she was arrested and then she was released on bail. Right. What's the rest of the story to that? Um, it was... I, it was in the Cleveland newspaper that she was arrested and, and um, released on bail. And it was also in the book by Mangrum, Zion's in, well, Zion in the Courts. Was she ever convicted of anything? I mean, I, it was released well, on bail. What's the rest of it? Many times in those days, people escaped being prosecuted by paying their bail. Someone bailed them out, and as I said... Law enforcement didn't have a lot of resources. It was out on the frontier where they didn't, you know, the the, sheriff, the one sheriff in the one town wouldn't be able to just go and try to prosecute somebody for counterfeiting because he didn't have anybody else to help. They'd have to go get a posse. They'd have to get the local people together and go chase somebody. You're trying to insinuate that she was guilty because she was arrested? That's it? Um, Without a trial? <clears throat> She had. She was passing Kirtland Safety Society anti-bank notes. Those were illegal from an illegal bank. That's why it's considered counterfeit. It was considered by, by the law enforcement at the time. She was trying to pass the illegal dollars, and no, she did not have a trial. Apparently, I. I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't. She wasn't convicted of anything. Well, I didn't ever. You're, I did not. Sound guilty of doing something just because she was arrested, and we know that oftentimes there are false arrests. I'm not saying she was or wasn't. I don't know. I just wanted to know what the rest of the story was. And you're not giving any rest of the story. Well, to I didn't. I didn't pursue the rest of that story. I just included it in all the other evidence. But you could pursue it. I'm sure you could find out what else happened. She she did go to Nauvoo and she became the first counselor to Emma Smith in the Relief Society. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You're just, from what you put up there, I'm taking that you're insinuating that she was guilty without having any trial. She was that's passing counterfeit that money that was illegal. You know, it was illegal money. Did they have a charter? No, you can look in any records and, and see that the, that the illegal, you know, the bank was not chartered. It was not uh, incorporated. Convicted of anything. Next question. They were run out of time. They were run out of town. How is that from the Nauvoo, the Kirtland Bank mess? So anyway, uh, we'll go on with that. We have a call from Roland in Provo calling. Hello, Roland. You need to turn your volume down, sir. Uh, thank you. You're on the air. Um, I, I've read uh, a lot of the anti-Mormon literature that's available, and... Uh, Never in any of them was uh, the, the, the subject brought out about counterfeiting. But uh, there's a new book, uh, the newest one, called Joseph Smith Jr., Reappraisal After Two Centuries. There are 14 scientists commenting on Joseph Smith's oh, we lost activity and, and his uh, being a prophet and so on. And I, I want to quote one writer of this book, and it, it would be a good thing for you, both of you, to read that, really. And uh, there was uh, Wayne, Wayne Hudson, I think, what's his name? Uh, let's see, <coughs> uh, Wayne Hudson. He was an, an, a non-Mormon, 
and he uh, he said this in his uh, treatise, whatever he said, he said, those who deny the, the prophet of Joseph deny it to themselves. Those who would confine prophet to, to Joseph have not read the book of Mormon carefully. I am not a Mormon, and uh, I approach and so he's not a Mormon. But uh, at, towards the end, he made this uh, comment. He said, uh, uh, a, a properly historical approach will recognize both that there were that there are genuine revelatory experiences and that actual cases depend on singular historical facts which we must learn to take as they were on. So, and then, then on he says, to insist that Joseph was a genuine prophet of world historical importance does not imply that he was always right or that all his prophecies were unambiguously confirmed. Here we need to remember that Old Testament prophets frequently made prophecies that failed. Sometimes prophets say too much, as Brigham Young arguably did when he declared that the man, that the sun was inhabited by living beings. Not does it imply that all of Joseph's activities were manifestations of his prophethood, that he was always acting as a prophet, as Joseph himself conceded. Only time and accumulated wisdom will help us to understand okay. when Joseph was acting as a okay, prophet. Roland. So, uh, <coughs> these are 14, and you read the book, it would okay. be good for both of you. We've, we've and and you, hear, you get a little better background. We have got to, to we're getting towards the end of the show. Thank you for your comments. Very quickly, I would like to say something here. Okay. Joseph Smith was not a prophet of God because he had false prophecies. And he disobeyed God about all the stuff we're talking about tonight. He didn't act like a prophet any of the time, not a true prophet. And if he fails on one prophecy, God said he's a false prophet. Just one prophecy. And sir, I would like you to prove one Old Testament prophecy that did not come true by the prophets there. You said there were some who didn't come true. That isn't so. But we've got at least 50, more than 50, of Joseph Smith's prophets that didn't. Do you want to quickly, maybe 30 seconds, to sum up what you would like to say? Well, I just don't think that if you are preaching Christian ethics and requiring your people to practice Christian ethics, that means being honest, that means being true, that means uh, giving value for value, that means monogamous marriage. That If you mm -hmm. are preaching those things and you are not doing any of those things, and you're swindling people and you're cheating and stealing and buying all kinds of big things with the counterfeit money that you are uh, passing off to people as real money, mm -hmm. then you are a false prophet yeah, and you are, prophet. you are a fraud. Yeah. You are an out and, you're not a pious fraud, you're an out and out fraud. Right, exactly uh, right. What is the definition of fraud if it's not That's, that? I, I'm so amazed at, at the, the nonsense that they put up with Joseph Smith for today. If, if anybody acted the way he did, that they wouldn't put up with him at all. Yeah, what would it take Kathleen. to think that he's not, you know, yeah, not right. I don't know, but I want to thank you for coming. No. Uh, we're out of time now, and I just yeah. appreciate your information. 
Email her for her paper. You'll find it very, very interesting. Tonight's show may have been shocking enough that many people walk away uh, refusing to believe that Joseph Smith could have cheated and deceived so many people, but the facts speak for themselves. There is sufficient evidence to prove that Joseph Smith was not a prophet of God. Just because he said, thus saith the Lord, does not prove that God truly spoke through Joseph Smith. Because God loves us, he has warned us through the Bible to watch out for those who would perform counterfeit miracles designed to deceive those who can be deceived. And just because someone has a vision doesn't mean it came from God. You know, when the devil spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden and asked her the question, did God really say, he successfully planted doubt in her mind questioning what God had said. And with the same intent, Joseph Smith cast doubt on the Bible when he said you must trust the Book of Mormon instead. The excuse that these early Mormon polygamous leaders were mere men and their false teachings must be tolerated because mere men make mistakes is, a, is, a, is an unacceptable. Galatians 1 verses 6 through 9 warns us to beware of any gospel that is different than the one that is already brought to us in the Bible. Even if an angel of heaven uh, br brings it to us, it's a false gospel. And the angel Moroni's story is an example of why God gave us this warning. And the wise will heed that warning. And polygamy for salvation is a false gospel brought by a false prophet. Jesus Christ also said to beware of false gospel and of false Christ. Following a false gospel from a false angel can lead to nowhere except a false heaven. And there's no second choice chance over after this life. So please check these things out. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.